Hey everybody, uh, this is Jeff and welcome to Religious. Uh, today it's just going to be me, Brent's not going to be with us for the moment, um, mostly because I am interviewing somebody. I'm going to be interviewing Nate Oates, uh, who is a pastor on, on my district out here in Sacramento. He's in a town called Lincoln and pastors a church called Emmaus Church Community. And he's just written a really fascinating book called Stability, um, in which he spent some time with a, uh, a community of Benedictine monks in Benedict's birthplace of Norcia, Italy. So I'm going to let him tell that story, but I just wanted to uh, come in before and and greet you, let you know that we are, in fact, a part of the Millennial Pastors Podcasting Network, um, and it's really a gift to be to be involved with all those great folks and the different the different podcasts that are going on there. So I encourage you to check out uh, the Millennial Pastors Podcasting Network um, on all the various socials um, and see all the things that are happening there. There's four, five, six different podcasts that are continually putting out content, and um, great to be a be a um, a part of that. So again, without kind of further ado, let me just jump in here and um yeah i hope you enjoy it and brent and i will get back with you soon take care all right well we are here in the theater at uh lincoln emmaus church community um and my name's jeff this is religious uh podcast about a religious order, a community um, of folk pursuing that life within the Church of the Nazarene. And I've got Nate Oates here, um, Pastor Nathan Oates. <laughs> Is it Nate or Nathan? I don't really it's know. It's either, man. Either it just one. depends okay. on how you feel, I guess. How, how I feel. <laughs> okay. I feel like Nate today. Uh, and Nate wrote a book that um, is interesting and exciting um that i was sitting there reading it one day and i needed to um i just had to text him and just tell him this is doing a lot for me and kind of hitting hitting a pretty dry spot in my soul and so i'm grateful um you want to tell us about it tell us the uh the title at least and and give us sure absolutely yeah the book is called stability Subtitle is How an Ancient Monastic Practice Can Restore Our Relationships, Churches, and Communities. So it's a book about St. Benedict. It's about Benedictine spirituality. It's rooted in the, uh, the history of the collapse of the church and the effort on the part of Benedict to um, restore. This is middle 6th century. Um, he actually died the year. He died... Um, 548 and 547 was the official like fall of Rome. So, um, during his lifetime, Rome is in shambles. Um, there's a, uh, a Gothic King that's come in and taken over and Mm -hmm. it's just a big battle. Um, so he, so Benedict, excuse me, Benedict creates these, these small communities of 12 men in an effort really to restore the church. So, the book is rooted in the history of Benedictine spirituality, but it accelerates pretty quickly to this essential thesis, which is that 
we can change the world, we can restore the world, the church can, um, can be an agent of restoration of all things through the method of stability, of staying. Mm. So I try to contrast movement that is meaningful mm-hmm. against movement that is shallow and ultimately destructive. There's a ton of movement happening all around us all the time. We're a really frenetic kind of culture. Everybody's going, going, going. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, the call is to go. The call is the Great Commission. So ultimately, where to go. But the problem is that so much of our going has nothing, it's bringing nothing with it. There's no wisdom with the message. There's no freight with the movement. And so we, we present things as solutions that have no roots. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying to argue in the book that in order for our going to matter, um, it needs to be rooted in a long season of not going, of staying, of being committed to the value and the practice of stability. And that that's where we send roots deep. That's where we develop a, a, a depth of Christian spirituality and a depth of understanding of a culture that actually enables us to go make a difference when we go. Mm. Wow. Yeah. And so then in the, is it the introduction on the first chapter, you sort of set up this, um, you give us Benedict's Mm -hmm. um, schema Mm -hmm. (laughs) of these four types of monks, right? Yeah. It's so (laughs) awesome. Yeah. That's how I got turned on to Benedict was, mm. you want me to talk about that? Sure. Yeah. So the, the first chapter of the rule of St. Benedict, you shouldn't, you shouldn't skip the pre, uh, the prologue cause it's brilliant. And in fact, the prologue is the only part of the rule that I read. I read it in college <laughs> and it was just sort of, here's one Christian, one of them very, uh, myriad of Christian classics that we were supposed to read at this one point, all these little like sample, you know, Augustine's Confessions, just a sample of that. Sample Jonathan Edwards, you know, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, or just some of the, some of the like mm-hmm. famous. So the prologue was there, and I just have a very faint memory of this, 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 um, this document. But fast forward 20 years, I'm at a retreat center. I'm waiting for my ride. I go into like perusing this little library of like four shelves of all these old books, and I pull out this little teeny red book, and it says The Rule on it. I never heard of the rule, never heard of St. Benedict before. I have no recollection, at least. Mm. And I just opened a, the first chapter, and the first chapter begins like this. It says, clearly there are four kinds of monks. And I just thought that was the most <laughs> like intriguing <laughs> opening line. I was like, I didn't know there were four kinds of monks. Obviously, clearly there's yeah. four kinds. Right? <laughs> I loved that. And so I just kept reading, and I was so intrigued by mm. Um, and th- realize that at the time, I don't know when this book's written. I don't know where it's written. Mm-hmm. By the time I finish reading the first chapter, I'm so captivated by this author's ability to see clearly the culture of the church today that I'm like, what's his solution? Because he just diagnosed the problem <laughs> with amazing clarity. And so I need to find out his solution. And then I find out it was written 1,500 years ago in Italy. Yeah. <laughs> right. So he, he lays out these four kinds of monks. Um, mm. And uh, really quickly, the ideal is somebody who's committed to a place mm-hmm. and a people mm-hmm. and a rule, um, a way of life in submission to a leader, an abbot. This is like the ideal. He calls the person a Cenobite, which means the common life. Mm-hmm. 
And this is the ideal for which he is striving uh, to recreate a church that's the common life, like mm-hmm. this organic, fruitful, effective, mm-hmm. living thing. He's he maintains this real fascination with like the soup, like the green beret of monks, which mm-hmm. is the hermit. Mm-hmm. So he he also the second kind of monk is the hermit, and he says he began as a hermit, but then kind of falls back into community development. Um, but he always has this idea that a hermit is the one equipped to do, as he puts it, hand-to-hand combat with the devil. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. and, and he, but he says that the hermit is equipped to do that through a long season in the community. So um, he would always keep that connection um, uh, can, there, you know, for the, between the, the monk and the hermit. And then he says there's two kinds of monks that are absolutely detestable. Like he uses the strongest language, he even makes up bad words about these monks. One <laughs> is a Cerebite who gathers with just a two or three of his friends. What do you want to say? You got something? I just want to learn to cuss like Benedict. Yeah, absolutely. Wouldn't that be great? (laughs) (laughs) Gyro Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Monk jokes. So the Cerebites are these people that just kind of say, hey, we're going to make it up our own thing and we're going to have a little group in our house and we're going to decide what we like and we're just going to invite our friends. And what we what he says is what you call holy, you believe is actually holy and you're submitting to no one. Wow. You're you're lying by your tonsure is what he says. In wow. other words, the, the little habit that you're wearing is a joke mm-hmm. um, because it's it's just your friends doing what they want to do. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. That sounded really attractive to me at times in my life. Let's just kind of do a little house church, you know, just people that we love already. And then the most detestable kind of monk is the gyroveg, which is, it means to spin around and around and around. Mm. Um, and it's essentially these, and this was a real, these were all, these weren't hypothetical right. people. These were real um, identifiable groups. And so apparently there were these groups of monks. They were actual monks but they would just travel around from monastery to monastery, be greeted as Christ at the door, because that's what you do if you're a monk. You greet guests as though they are Christ. Massive hospitality, massive warmth. Here's the best place to stay. Welcome in. And then as soon as they, you know, kind of got the best welcome available and were asked, could you help with the dishes? They bounced and they went to the next place and they never settled down. They never contributed, and it's um, to me it feels like an ancient version of the we're going to change churches every eighteen months and just always right. be the guest, always be the new person, always be the one getting the attention, and uh, never satisfied and never contributing. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, so I could talk about those forever. Yeah, because I feel like it for me it um, provides this sort of four part matrix Mm -hmm. in which to understand both my own personal impulses as a Christian um, in the world, as well as characteristics of church communities. It's sort of become a diagnostic tool for me in a sense, Mm -hmm. because I feel like, okay, we're leaning towards this excess, or we have no real value for um, for this kind of rooted development that enables us to stay away from this problem or whatever. So anyway, that's how he starts. And then, and you at this point, what are you doing in your life? And I'm reading this for the first time. Yeah. You're a pastor. You planted Um, a church. I'm just starting planting a church. Okay. 
Okay. Yeah. I'm just getting started planning a church <laughs> oh, in the man. early 2000s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you, you've got people coming through who love to be the part, a part of the beginning. Right. Of things. Yeah. The I early imagine. adopters for sure. Um, yeah. The, you know, the podcasts are not podcasts. Um, <laughs> Blogs are They're huge. a problem too. The podcasts are yeah, also a problem. At the time we're planting, though, blogs are huge. The internet is new. Um, you've got really, um, so you got some celebrity pastors instantly household names in the church planting culture. People like Mark Driscoll, um, who are just like suddenly they've got this massive following. Um, you've got a really interesting season of the church growth movement um, that's influencing these church plant efforts. Our network planted a ton of churches in the early 2000s, and few of them really lasted more than a couple of years. Mm -hmm. But they were modeled after these big church, like start with a lot of money and a lot of staff. So I say all of that only to say that this voice of Benedict in in one of my ears was completely different from the church I was asked to intern at as sure. preparation for planting this church, the literature that our that our own network was pushing out as like, this is the ideal, this mm-hmm. is the way we want to move. And so I've struggled for most of my pastoral life between this entrepreneurial, engage the culture, welcome people who have no spiritual background, church planter world, and this deeply rich, mm. historic, monastic spirituality mm. that mm. Is, keeps asking me to be quiet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah. That does not, they don't easily resolve. They don't play well together. Uh-uh. Wow. Okay. So who's winning? <laughs> it's a great question. I, I guess I will. It's a great question. We know what book you wrote, so that's that's. Oh, in me? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I know who won in me. The the verdict's out as to who's winning in terms of this this church, but Um, they're mm. um, a cynic would say, and they might be true. They might be. They might be right. There's not a lot of people meeting Jesus here in Mm. this church. This might go beyond what you want to talk about, but um, you know, four or five a year are meeting Jesus. That's not very many. Um, A lot more are coming out of deep wounds, sometimes wounds from the church, in the church, and are finding a home here in um, that's centered around this deeper desire to, um, to experience a depth that they never did experience in, Mm. in other churches. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that we're super spiritual and super deep, we're just historically rooted. That's really mm-hmm. it. We're mm-hmm. just not taking our first cue from culture. Right. And so that's, if it's working, and I'm not sure that it is, but if it's working, it's working with people who um, are looking for something genuine that they haven't been able to really find traction with in maybe the more typical or common mm-hmm. expression of evangelical Christian worship. Mm-hmm. Wow. There's no fog machines here. Yeah. So, well, when you, so we, we, we like to think of a, a continuum where you graduate from fog machines to no fog machines, uh-huh. but then you graduate to incense. incense. So you go back to the right fog back machine. Towards the fog. It yeah. just smells better. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, <so good. laughs> it's, all, 
it's just a. That's you what know, we need to do. The end is okay. the beginning, Nate. I'm, I'm, uh, you're helping me out. Yeah, this is good. So okay, I'm let people know that's what we need. Yeah. So you're planting this church, yeah, and you encounter Benedict, right? And then um, much of the book is is built around a trip you took, right. a journey. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell yeah. people a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. So for about 10 years, I just read Benedictine spirituality. I just am captivated by Kathleen Norris and Esther DeWall and um, anything I can find about Benedictine spirituality and monks and monasteries. And, And then I realized at some point, I don't know if any of this really exists. I don't know how to translate much of this into my own life. It's kind of intriguing to me, but do they really do this kind of stuff? And so that sent me on an, on a journey of wanting to live in a monastery for a while to see what part of the rule they actually still used, Mm. if any of it. Mm. Yeah. So, um, so I got an opportunity in 2017 to, to connect with a monastery in um, Norcia, Italy, which is the birthplace of Benedict, which was just amazing. I mean, I, I basically knew one woman who was, um, a lifelong religious. She's a Dominican sister and asked her, do you know anywhere I could go? So it just could have been anything. And she lines me up with a professor who started a monastery in Norcia, uh, Father Cassian. Mm. Um, and, um, and she said, we'll see if you can go there. And I was thinking like maybe a weekend and they wrote back and they said, well, we're sorry we can't keep you for too long, but you're welcome to stay for three weeks. And I was like, oh, this wow. is going to go down. Wow. This is big. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I recalibrated my whole expectation from like mm. a weekend visit to a significant, mm-hmm. you know, trip. So yeah, I, I hiked on this um, path that traces the steps of Benedict, kind of Benedict's life. And I kind of did it in reverse. So I ended up at his birthplace yes. and then, um, and then lived there mm. with these monks for for three weeks. Wow. Mm-hmm. So this is his birthplace. Yeah. Is this where he carried out his ministry? No. Okay. He goes from Norcia to Rome, which is like okay. 30 miles away, studies in Rome very briefly, um, gets totally discouraged by the the state of mm. both the culture in Rome and the church. It's corrupt. Um, it's, um, what's the word? It's like, it's just hedonism. It's just... It's lewd mm-hmm. craziness mm-hmm. that he encounters. He's shocked by it mm-hmm. so much so that he drops out of college. He literally goes and lives in a cave by the river and um, slowly people start to gather around him. There's some starts mm-hmm. and stops to that, which I can talk about if you want. Then he starts a monastery in a place called Subiaco, Subiaco mm-hmm. um, and that's at the headwaters of the Anyene River overlooking the summer home of Herod. Um, they're the ruins of the summer home of Herod, um, which you can still see actually. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) And so he creates this beautiful monastery that's like perched Mm. on a cliff and I've been able to explore there and and be, it's still a monastery. It still exists. It's just absolutely beautiful. He then, he's only there for a little while. Um, Mm. I think maybe five years. I'm not exactly sure. And then he avoids an increasingly complicated conflict with a local priest Instead of facing him, he just avoids it. He just 
he wouldn't say it was avoidance. He would say he just chose the path of peace and just, you can just do your own, you know, you can do your own thing. The priests were jealous of Benedict, apparently, Mm. because of the power Mm. that he possessed. People were, would seek him out. um, Just the force of, well, holiness, but personality and and people are, are drawn to that. Yeah. Yeah. And so... Then he goes to this, um, his kind of his major work is done in a place called Mount Casino, and that's where he builds this massive okay. monastery. And I've actually okay. never seen that one, okay. but he's there for, I think, 30 years, and that's where he writes the rule. Okay. But he li- he's living the rule, Got it. and then he kind of codifies it at that last la- okay. last place in Casino. All right. So you make it to Norcha, you hike in. Yeah. Hike in, <laughs> take a bus to the last place, and um, waiting for a ride. Um looking around very little communication at this point and this little teeny like fiat drives up and this bearded monk steps out this you know bald long red beard he's in like a working habit he's in like this carhartt like habit this dark blue um it's like because he's working at the brewery that day and he and he starts moving towards me and i kind of lock eyes with him and then this homeless man steps in the way and he addresses him like he's the most important person in the world for a long time. And I'm like kind of waiting. Finally, he kind of moves that guy on and, and we get in the car and I'm flying around these corners and we're just going up, 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 up. They had a monastery in the city of Norcha, but this is the story about this monastery is that in 17, two big earthquakes just rocked Norcha mm. and destroyed, they just destroyed the city, including the monastery, which was a hundred years old and probably more than that. Um, and so everybody left. The power grid was gone. The streets were impassable. Nor- Norch is like a ghost town, but the Benedictine monks, they stay. And they, they live in these temporary containers just up the hill from the monastery site, from the downtown. And so that's where we're heading now. We're heading in this little car up to, these, up to this chapter house that they've built in 2018. And, and so... Um, they have no chapel. I mean, they did have a chapel, but it was part of the chapter house. They've now continued to develop. But yeah, so that's where I stayed, and I got to just fully engage with these with these men, and it was an absolute blessing. They wow. invited me all the way in. So that's seven prayer times a day, all the meals, working alongside them, um, sleeping in. And I didn't get to sleep in their quarters, but I slept in a guest yeah. quarters, which was yeah. a storage container. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, wow. Yeah. Wow. So it was an amazing experience. Absolutely has shaped me. I mm. think about it all the time, and it continues to just be um, one of the most valuable seasons of my life. And so that experience is kind of the the narrative core of the book, right? Um, and it's beautiful the way it's it's written with sort of reflections, and then you know, mm-hmm. sort of dipping back into those mm-hmm. into those stories, and yeah. Uh, yeah, I didn't know if they would go for that, but um, yeah, so I basically if just kept a journal went. if the publishing house would. Oh, got it. So there's seven chapters in the book, but in between each chapters, that's just those are just excerpts from this journal that I kept all summer. And I love that part. It makes it always feel really personal to me. So we'll see if that's if that resonates with people or not. I hope so. I, it did with me, but I know you, and it, yeah. I don't know. So yeah. it, <laughs> anyway, but um, yeah, so I... I'm interested in knowing, because I know, I'm interested for you which came first, Mm -hmm. whether, um, 
there was this sort of draw toward monasticism and then you discovered, oh, one of the significant things here is stability mm-hmm. or if it was mm-hmm. the other way around, you're you're pulled toward stability in these other contexts and then you discover monasticism, mm-hmm. which is this expression. Yeah, it's um, a really good question. Um, initially, I think I'm drawn to contemplative spirituality. I almost burned out early in ministry because I was just... I was just always giving and my spiritual disciplines were in community. Those were my kind of go-to disciplines. So I was just an extrovert on steroids and that's not sustainable in the long term when you're in, when you're in a ministry of giving. And so I pulled back out of a desire to rescue myself and, and discovered contemplative spiritual disciplines like solitude and silence and retreat and spiritual direction, things like that. And, um, and so that was, that's been like a, a, a source of nourishment for me for a long time. Um, and that's how I discovered and kind of became interested in Benedictine spirituality because it's, it's all about prayer and work and the interplay between prayer and work. Um, stability, if it was a value, it was not articulated until relatively recently. Looking back, I go, I've always valued stability. Traditions are important to me. Um, I wanted, I felt led to plant this church, but didn't feel like I would ever plant another. Um, mm. I felt like this would be a long-term. This wasn't your starter church. This wasn't, yeah. you know, and I wasn't gonna be like a serial church yeah. starter. Yeah. Um, some people are really gifted at that. I feel like I was literally gifted, given a gift to start this church, but I don't know that I would ever go do this again. Mm. So I've always had, and I'm back kind of in the area where I grew up. Mm -hmm. Um, I know a lot of people that have been here for generations, but so I I can see this sort of preview of a value of stability just deep within me for a long time. But the, the decision to focus the book on stability was a relatively recent one. Mm. It was an effort to focus from how does monasticism inform the church, which is just too broad, right. to let's get, there's three Benedictine vows, let's choose one and, and focus on how does that one vow um, impact the church, yeah. which is really the fundamental question. Yeah. Can we do that? Can we do, can we being non-monastic Western Protestants, can we... <laughs> benefit from this ancient vow of stability right right and it's and it's the strangest one Mm -hmm. of the benedictine vows to us well obedience is not obedience is not easy (laughs) but we expect them to be yeah there i've read contradictory thoughts on this but i think benedict's the first one to use stability as a vow it's my understanding yeah yeah so it's sometimes it's chastity, obedience, or, and poverty. But okay. for Benedict, it's stability, obedience, and continual conversion, or however you translate this Latin phrase that basically means like ongoing death. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is that what's the what's the Latin phrase? Something moratorium, moratorium. I don't know. Oh, I okay, okay. I need to be able. Um, to yeah, I mean, in that. our community, we've talked about that as as that same kind of. Um, it's a lot like sanctification, right? Mm-hmm. Um, right, right. Um, and trying to continue to pursue that. I agree um, that it is. In fact, I've um, someday I'd love to talk to you about the the similarities that I found between 
um, this era of the Roman Church, fifth, sixth, seventh century, (laughs) Pope um, Gregory the Great, Mm -hmm. and John Wesley. Yeah, Um, there's some real interesting holiness parallels in terms of the potential for the Spirit to actually empower somebody. Wow, um, and even purify somebody. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, didn't expect to find that, but I found that initially in the single biographical source for, for St. Benedict, which is um, the third book of this series called Dialogues that was actually written by Gregory the Great. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Who writes his, who writes Benedict's biography? Right. Yeah. Wow. It's called Dialogues. Yeah. Wow. So that's how the, that's how the rule of St. Benedict just goes viral, basically, is hmm. a monk named Gregory starts following the rule never met benedict but he's 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 heard of the rule he starts following the rule later in his life he becomes the pope and endorses the rule for all monastic communities in okay. the church which is kind of like your book getting picked up at costco sure. i mean it's like yeah. now you're just huge right and so um, the book's never been out of print the rule of saint benedict it's been the like the standard for monastic Life. There's all kinds of revisions, and different sure. communities have different variations. But, um, and Benedict's not saying that he's creating this from scratch. He has several sources that right. he's referring to, yeah. the Book of the Master and John Cassian and even right. Augustine. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we've talked about a little bit of that on previous episodes, mm. and and his, at least the, uh, um, kind of his rule being a, a more gracious version mm-hmm. of um some of those you yeah. know and a little bit more yeah merciful yep <laughs> Even accommodating though, <laughs> right yeah your experience was you know the intensity of it yes and, um yes i just reading again this morning you know the hunger and the yes um it was very <laughs> being up uncomfortable. at 3 15 a.m mm-hmm. and yeah it was really hard for me that it was so hard yeah for me. <laughs> <laughs> it was hard for me that's so hard for me yeah, yeah. i i kind of thought wow. i can i can do this but yeah i like that was like being a 5k runner and training with marathoners. I mean, I just, yeah. they, they crushed me in terms of their ability to be disciplined and focused. Wow. I mean, they, I, they live this. Yeah. And I happened to go just for the record, I happened to go to this monastery that is a, um, a Latin rite monastery. So they are, they are expressly devoted to, um, living according to the rule in its original form, mm. they're they're real down on Vatican II, right. <laughs> um, the, the, the Second Vatican Council. They yeah. feel like the Roman Church has gone a bit soft, uh-huh. and so, granted, I was with some of the more austere sure. Benedictine monks that exist today, but even they are following the rule of Benedict, which is right, as you say includes accommodations for, Hey, if you're cold, you can have an extra shirt. If it's, you know, if it's, yeah, I know (laughs) nice things like that. Yeah. If it's, uh, if it's winter, you sleep a little longer and if you're sick, you can have meat and Mm. things which seem to us as like, not that big a deal, but they just don't show up in other sources at that time. Wow. There's no accommodation for basically human, human limitations. Right. Um, to my knowledge in other sources, but Benedict has this real, like, do the very best you can and then be okay with it. Wow. And then grow. It's it's still challenging. Right. But his rule, he says, is written for beginners. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Wow. I yeah, I there's there's so much challenge to us there, I think. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I I I was speaking for myself, I think I I probably often have a sense that I know better than other people and um um it's it's good to be reminded what a beginner I am. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um mm-hmm. you know, I I I don't know if that's common across the board with people who've kind of you know, you go to seminary or you go to, I went to school for this and then, you know, um, and then you come into leadership or ministry of some sort and you're kind of, it's easy to get down on people. Mm -hmm. Um, so Mm -hmm. anyway, that's a probably unnecessary. I think it was a real, (laughs) for me at least, and this is just autobiographical, but it was a real challenge the first week at the monastery in, in Italy, because I'm like in my middle forties most of these monks are in their early twenties and oh, they were, they were young. <laughs> they were all younger than me except the abbot. Wow. And they, um, they were super wise. The ones I was able to talk to, I was only able to, to talk with a few, but they were wise. They were deeply devoted. They were remarkably disciplined and they're hardly eating. They're hardly sleeping. And I'm just like, I, I struggled with that because I'm just positionally, I'm just, I'm usually the one that's leading. I'm usually the one that's teaching. And there I was very much a learner. It was challenging for me to not be able to receive communion there because I'm not Roman Catholic. So that was challenging for me. I'm usually yeah. celebrating communion. Now I'm not even really allowed to receive it. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah. And I respect that, but it was very much a jolting. Mm-hmm. So, so to the, to the point of, yeah, we're learners, we're beginners. Yeah, I definitely felt like I was in a whole new world. And yeah. some of the things, not that I needed, you know, to have stripes on the side of my sleeve, but I, um, I felt like I was, um, I felt like I was behind wow. where they were, and that um, the things that I'd become, that I've matured in, weren't the same things that they'd matured in. And this is very disorienting, frankly, that's after really being a pastor for 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. Mm. Um, yeah. Well, I, there was something that you said in a previous conversation about some of this, that, um, you, you asked one of the monks about your church yeah, being, which is a cool church. <laughs> It's it's a cool place to be, and it's got a lot of really great people mm-hmm. who are a part of it, who are smart and wise and caring and devoted mm-hmm. and dis- mm-hmm. like all those kinds of things. Like it's kind of from where I'm sitting, it's the kind of place that you would think these people can do it, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. you're in this great theater that's mm-hmm. right on Main Street, mm-hmm. uh, in this like a town that's not too big, not too small. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, all of these kinds of things, and you go saying, "Can we?" allow the monastery to serve as a model mm-hmm. for the kind of life that we could live as a church mm-hmm. and what and his response <laughs> yeah, his response was basically you can't hmm. yeah the way i asked it was is there how can we translate your value of stability into our context and he didn't even entertain it <laughs> he said you can't and I didn't 
I still haven't fully accepted that answer, but it's, it's instructive. The reason, which he pointed out, is that we don't obey anybody. I just thought that was really, that did not. So there's the interplay of the vows. Right. Yeah. Right. So he's essentially, he's saying, no, stability as we understand it is not an actual reality for you because you don't obey anybody. Um, And so he sees, he sees obedience as an integral and necessary part of truly valuing stability. I would say, and others there, other monks there, held up marriage as the more accurate parallel to the monastery. I want to say the monastery is like the church. The church can be like a monastery. They had trouble with that comparison. Hmm. If the church that we're talking about is the modern American evangelical church, I see. they just, one, one of the monks asked me in a candid conversation, can you tell me what so much of the evangelical church has to do with Jesus? Just like, honestly, like, Hey, we have an evangelical pastor here. Mm-hmm. Like, let's ask him questions. And like, <laughs> the, what's the, this deal? is the only time we're going to have yeah. this in our life. <laughs> we need to get Why do you in. guys do most of what you do? Um, <laughs> Why are you the way you are? <laughs> yes. You guys into Jesus? Yeah. Um, so, but they would say, and I, and I think as well that marriage is a stronger parallel or at least a more promising parallel because there is a level of obedience in marriage. Yeah. Um, we would call it mutual submission, probably not obedience, but um, I I do things because my wife asks me or tells me to do them. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what she does is probably simply because I ask her to, to do those mm-hmm. things too. So, um, But yeah, he had you. a hard time with, what's that? And that's good for you. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's healthy Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't mean to say that's a bad thing. Right. But you know, he's coming. This monk, who said that we can't learn from them, basically, is just seeing what I do as, as and what we do as as Protestant pastors is pretty cavalier. Mm. You know, we're, we're not really in submission to anybody. If we don't like our spiritual leaders, we mm. just start something new. Mm. Um, and uh, and then. Even more Dude. complicated is my parishioners. Right, don't they don't obey me? Right. Hopefully, I inspire them, I encourage them, I serve them, but they consistently and regularly choose to go elsewhere. So there's there's just a different worldview mm-hmm. when it comes to religious community, and mm-hmm. they had a hard time seeing that. And others have noticed this too. The one question that I think is fascinating is um, that another author asks how I want, she says, I want to know how I can learn what apparent, apparently can only be joined. Mm. Isn't that good? Yeah. It's hard, huh? Yeah. <laughs> it's hard. Yeah. Well, it's not unlike toward the end of the book, you say, you know, we want the fruit of stability, mm-hmm. but we largely don't want the practice of it. Right. Um, yeah, our culture repudiates stability. Yeah. It sees it as, it sees it as giving up or, um, on the front settling. end, on the front end. Yes. yes. But we celebrate it somehow weirdly at, on the, the back end. end. Mm-hmm. It, there's something complicated there yeah. where we want to, we want to mine it, mm-hmm. you know, and we want to take the value of it or, yep. or whatever it is. I think um, we want the fruit of it. Right. I think we right. want what it creates, yep. what it enables. 
um, but we don't celebrate on the front end the discipline, the sacrifice, and the commitment of doing what it takes in year seven, year 14, year 37 right. to, to stand up as somebody did yesterday in our church and say, yeah, we've been married 50 years. Wow. You know, it's like everybody thinks that's beautiful. Um, and in, in a lot of ways it is beautiful, but we don't celebrate um, the root yeah. that leads to that fruit. Yeah. We don't ever really talk about the value of sticking with that and the sacrifice that's, that's required. I mean, some of us will occasionally, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, now the big, you know, one of the big cultural fascinations is like life hacks, like shortcuts, mm. like biohacks. Like mm. how can I achieve in a short amount of time with a, you know, with a mushroom extract or a cacao nib or something like that, <laughs> what, what should require years of dietary discipline? Yeah. Right. Um, you know, right. Uh, we hiked Half Dome once with this friend and we'd been training and eating well and we had a lot of food that we were bringing with us. It's a pretty significant hike to go up and down in a day, right? 16, 17 miles and a ton of elevation. And a friend of ours uh, did not come prepared and just had for the day a bag of cacao nibs <laughs> or cacao beans or something. And he's like, these are like superfoods. This is going to fuel me all day. He's like throwing up halfway up because it's so much caffeine. Anyway, that's just a that's picture so of like, absurd. I feel like our culture is like yes. that. Like, show yeah. me the shortcut. And right. there's right. some right. things that just, there just isn't a shortcut to 50 years of marriage. Right. Sorry. There's just not another way to get there. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. It's our fundamental rebellion against mm. God. Wow. Rebellion against time. Mm-hmm. It's the only thing we can't control. Mm. Um, that's good. I, <laughs> I'm convinced of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I yeah. So I coming out of this, I, I my sort of personal. I got one or two more questions I want to ask you, but my sort of personal like takeaway discipline. Um, last night as I'm going to bed, it's like I need to do one thing at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was the the mention of the way that monks close doors. Mm-hmm just those small things and i just realizing man i am so yeah like grabbing four things whatever as you go through the room yeah, yeah. forgetting reading while you're eating exactly. while you're talking yeah, while, while you're watching tv yeah <laughs> i know it's no wonder we're so frenzied right and so this discipline of like can i actually do one thing at a time mm-hmm. and be it's and it's bigger than just i want to be in the moment it's mm-hmm. like Sometimes the moment sucks. Sometimes yeah, the moment's right. really boring. Mm-hmm. Um, but can I, can I just do that thing? Yeah. Um, and I, I feel like, cause I've honestly, I've struggled with praying the office. Like we sort of commit to here the, in the past month or so. Um, and I think that's just a piece of it is the, is the distractions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's only, you know, three or four times a day, not seven. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a big piece of it. And that's a great application of stability. One monk told me, I said, how does the vow of stability impact your life? And he says, well, on one level, it it's what keeps me focused through just an hour of prayer. Right. I'm thinking 60-year question, and he's actually breaking mm. it down all the way to the, to the hour yeah. and expressing his value of stability in, in mm. the immediate mm. present moment which I didn't expect. 
Yeah. Yeah. But it's, um, it apparently is remarkably relevant for them. Like this is why they do what they do because Mm -hmm. they're committed to a life of stability. Right. It affects the way they care for things, the way they address relational conflict, the way they drink their coffee, the Mm. way they pray. Mm. Yeah. How would you, oh man, (laughs) how would you, how, how are you bringing this into your, into Mm -hmm. your church, Mm -hmm. into your family? Um, Mm -hmm. If you've, I mean, I, I, I think you've got kids in college. Yeah, I have two. Did they move away? Two kids in college. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one's in um, going to school at Wheaton in Illinois, and one's in Southern California. Wow. Yeah, just what just left. So I've a nineteen-year-old and a twenty-one-year-old. Okay. Yeah, and then I, have, I still have a son at home. Okay. Yeah. So then, how do we, how do we sort of process through? Because I, I've been wrestling with that. Like, if on some level there is a good sending. Yes, right, and this for sure. This is not a sort of fundamentalist <laughs> text right. on stability and never leaving. Right. Um, no, exactly. Um, but it is a sense of there's a sense here of um, being sent and going when it's right to go. Yep. Um, yep. How do you? How would you walk a family through um, through that process? Mm. In terms of like, should we move to a new town? Sure. Or sure, that one comes up. Yeah, that one comes <laughs> up a lot. So I address this in the book, and I try to provide reasons to go and reasons not to go mm-hmm. that are good and sound. Yeah. Just to give people a kind of a checklist, and it's just my opinion, I guess, at the end of the day. But for instance, fear is not fear is a common motivator, but it's really not a good motivator. It would be sad if you said, "So why did you guys move here?" Well, we were afraid. Um. Course, we're afraid our good house reasons. might lose value. Yeah, something like that. I guess there's some good reasons to be afraid. Yeah. I mean, if somebody from Af- Afghanistan mm, could move sure. here right now, that'd sure. be a legitimate fear. Like, right. let's let's get those guys out of there. Right. But um, so so we could go through a series of questions to try to negotiate or uh, navigate the question: Are you escaping something? Are you avoiding something? That kind of those are not good reasons to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, are you looking for something more exciting? But then there's good reasons too, right? There's reasons like my passion and this need are aligning in such a critical way that it just feels that this is the this is what I've been made for, right? This is what I've been prepared for. So what I what I try to do in the book is suggest that it's not as simple as do I stay or do I go, but there's a third option and that and this is a bit mysterious, but the third option would be to go deeper. Mm-hmm. Like go deeper to the core question, deeper to the fundamental root of, of, of who you are, um, to ask that same question, should I stay or should I go, but ask it at increasingly deeper levels. So one way to look at this is to, is to recognize that um, monks are not extremists. Mm. They're not extremists. They're not living in the fringe of human experience. They're actually radicals, mm-hmm. meaning they're not out at the far edge fringe. They're super, super close to the root. Mm-hmm. The radical, they're like the radis, I think, or something is, is root, right? Mm-hmm. So 
they are living as close as they possibly can to the source of life. We, we say, gosh, that's so extreme, or they're running to the hills, they're avoiding culture or whatever. They would say, no, we are simplifying our life down to what actually matters, and that is the adoration of Christ. Hmm. So moving towards that kind of living is is what I mean by going deeper. So a real life example might be something like, and I'm literally just making this up right now in terms of uh, this conversation, but say like you're thinking, should I, should we stay married or should we, should we break this relationship off? Because there's legitimate reasons to break it off. There's legitimate reasons to stay married. Maybe you're thinking, maybe this is like the conflict in your life, right? And most people would counsel you along one or the other of those options. I wonder if there's a third option, which is to go deeper, mm. which is a very challenging option of really peeling back the, the layers of the pain, really asking the, the profoundly personal questions. What, what actually did you do when you committed your life to this person? What was that actually? What, do, what were you actually searching for? Could we get closer to the source of life in this very real life conflict of should I stay or should I go? Um, sometimes this looks like probably a better example is it looks like somebody who's been committed to a community for a long time, a church community for a long time. They've served there. They've given there. Um, they've learned there. They've sacrificed there. They've really done the work that has enabled them to gain the wisdom that can only come through perseverance they haven't bounced at the first difficulty. They've they've learned how to process a broken relationship with with a brother or sister. They've learned how to forgive. They've learned how to follow somebody that's in leadership. They've learned how to lead others. They've done all this hard work. And then now having this wisdom that can only come through being committed to a place and a people and a purpose for a long time. Now maybe the 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 next step for them is to go to another place, but it's not leaving. They're being, they're actually being sent. Mm. You see the difference? Mm -hmm. They're actually going deeper into the commitment that they've demonstrated right. for the last say 17 years. Right. And they're actually moving deeper into that. They're not abandoning movement. That is meaningless abandons and always destroys. Mm -hmm. That's the, I'm just quitting my marriage movement, right. but the movement that heals restores is movement that goes that goes deeper into the source mm -hmm. so uh, it sounds a little bit nebulous without specific situations um, but the hope is that a life of commitment or a long time commitment to stability both the value and the practice of mm -hmm. stability is what basically equips us to go and to heal as we go that's beautiful i it's that's so good. That's good. <laughs> it's so good because I like it isn't this sort of cloying like I need you to stay mm -hmm. sort of insecure mm -hmm. codependency sort of right. stability. Please don't leave me. Right. Um, um, by recognizing that all the time that we stay, we are developing the virtues, developing the capacity to go well. Yeah. Um, yeah. You asked but, about college kids. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it needs to be Jesus or the Spirit that sort of twangs that string so to speak yeah right and, and launches that them out. yeah mm -hmm. and and not just um not just the sort of 
anxiety that we sort of swirl with right. all right. the time here. Right. Um, yeah. Hopefully, when we launch our kids out um, to college, my youngest started preschool, and my my oldest just started kindergarten. This so week, you have this so quiet house I, in the I'm morning like, now. Yeah. <laughs> Bro, you're in it. You're in the best season. I love the season that you're in. I would go back. I loved it. It was hard in some ways, but I loved it. And right now, if you can accomplish a deep, resonant Mm -hmm. value and practice of stability, your kids Mm -hmm. will probably be ready to launch at 18 or 19 or whenever they, you know, whenever they kind of reach that point, um, they'll be ready. And by ready, I mean, they're going to know who they are. Mm -hmm. They're going to know, um, why they are who they are, Mm. what they value, what they want slash love and what they should go do. Mm. They're going to know all that Mm. and it'll go, it'll get deeper as they Sure. As they experience sure. travel or college or whatever, but there's going to be this fundamental confidence hmm. that uh, doesn't happen when you um, you move every three years because your dad's in the air force. Hmm. Now you develop other skills if you have to reinitiate friendships every three years for right. eighteen. Yeah. You know, you do that cycle six times or whatever. But or because your dad's in the ministry. But or yeah, yeah, I go. I guess there's there's that. <laughs> yeah. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. So yeah. anyway, that's yeah. that's my that's what I witness hmm. rarely, mostly in ancient examples, and that's what um, that's what I feel like I'm beginning to discover at 48 years old, oh. pastoring the same church for 17 years, mm-hmm. in this kind of ministry for a lot longer, and I'm beginning to feel like um, I'm seeing the fruit of stability. Right. And that's totally intriguing. And it's like when you experience the payoff of any discipline, you want to go back to the start and say, Hey, this is worth it. Stick with Mm -hmm. it. Walk on this road. This will pay off. Mm -hmm. Um, It will be painful. Most people will leave, Mm -hmm. but you will, you will um, accumulate is sort of a weird word. You will develop and nurture. There will be like birthed in you and nurtured in you this depth of stability that, bec- that frankly, as you look around, is pretty rare. And um, this will be what you have to offer the world. Wow. Right? Yeah. This will be the, the, the quality that you bring to a space is this. It's whatever sort of captivates us about the couple married for 50 years that still has tenderness in their relationship. Mm. It's, it's the same thing that I think hushes your heart when you walk into a cathedral that's been standing for a thousand years, or even when you walk into this grove of redwoods, you're like, there's a weight here. There's value here. There's like this presence that you just don't get when you, you know, I was riding my bike through a brand new suburb this morning. It's just, it's just totally different. It's completely different. Oh man, well, we I don't want to go too far down those other trails, but that's great. That's so good. Um, so when's the book come out? When uh release is September seventh. And should people pre order? They can pre order. Okay. Yeah. Uh you can order it from my website, Nathanotes.com. Okay. Um you can order it on Amazon or Barnes and Noble if you want to support Bezos. That'd be great. <laughs> if you want to support the <laughs> instable. <laughs> 
Oh, God bless Amazon. But there's also that's an option for you. Yeah. Um, and then you can buy it directly from the publisher as well, which is Paraclete.com. Okay. Yeah, Paraclete Press. And I'll put those links. I don't know about Barnes and Noble and All Amazon, right, well, but I'll yeah. put the other links to the Do show notes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Thanks so much. Right. It's been super fun to talk oh, about man. this. I feel like we just scratched the surface. Oh, I, know. surface but. I know. So much. All right, Nathan. Thank you. And um, I hope this season of, uh, this next season of parenting and pastoring and writing is is rich. Thanks, man. It continues to bear fruit. Thanks for the encouragement. I hope yeah. this was helpful. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Thanks.